So we're here today to talk a little bit about a case that uh, Dr. DeBose saw, Corey here, who's sitting with us, saw uh, not too long ago. Uh, Want to tell us about him? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, one of our patients came in to us recently from uh, Lake Superior. Uh, he was on a dive trip with uh, four other buddies at the uh, Isle, Isle Swirl National Park. Uh, on He was on a liveaboard trip, uh, so on the fifth day of his dive, he had a uh, profile where he went to 143 feet of seawater. Uh, and uh, during the dive, his dive computer uh, gave him a signal that he had gone uh, to too great a depth and was getting too much of a nitrogen buildup. <laughs> so it was signaled for him to make an ascent with some decompression stops. Uh, upon uh, making his stop at 62 feet for a few minutes, uh, he was there for two minutes, and then at 18 feet for four minutes, he made it back to the boat. And uh, after being resurfaced, uh, approximately 30 minutes later, he began to have uh, some cold sensations in his legs. Uh, and when he went to get off the, uh, he was laying on a rack. Uh, he, the boat was rocking because of the high seas that day. He started feeling a little seasick uh, as upon he tried to get off the rack and his legs collapsed. Uh, at that point, he vomited. His uh, boat captain was concerned that he might be experiencing some signs of uh, decompression illness. So they put oxygen on him and they actually had a two hour boat ride to get back to the dock. Um, after he got back to the dock, he said he was feeling better, felt fine. Uh, he walked off the boat, actually helped unload the gear. But then uh, <laughs> him and his dive buddies were about to uh, take a trip back to the hotel. Uh, it was about a three-hour trip, so they were all going to go to the bathroom beforehand. At that point, he could not uh, recall if he was able to urinate or not. He doesn't recall having the sensation of having to go, but just knew uh, they needed to have a long trip ahead. So. They took their long trip, and when they got back to the hotel, he was unfortunately unable to move his legs or get out of the vehicle. At that point, uh, they made a call to the DAN organization. And for those of you who are unaware of what uh, DAN is, it stands for the Divers Alert Network. Uh, scuba divers are normally aware of this. It is an organization that was created in 1980 uh, with regards to dive safety. Uh, they direct any, you know, they're available for any scuba diver who's concerned about a dive-related injury. And uh, they have a hotline to which they call. Essentially, they would discuss your symptoms and direct you to the nearest dive uh, friendly uh, physician that would be in their area uh, or local ER that could get them transported to that physician. Uh, they provide different dive safety courses and have uh, insurance for divers for dive safety and they perform continuous research to help divers. Um, continuing, after uh, they received the call to Dan, they felt he was uh, having symptoms of decompression illness so they directed him to the emergency room and uh, Superior, Wisconsin, and at that point, uh, we at Huntington County Medical Center were given a call, and they made arrangements to give him a low-altitude flight to our chamber. Hmm, okay. A couple of things there you talked about. You did a lot of numbers. Was that dive like an extreme dive, in your opinion, or what do you think as far as his depths and times? You, you were able to go over a lot of these. Did you think they were... Was he pushing his boundaries a little bit, or what do you think? He was pushing his boundaries, and uh, one of the things that was shocking to us is that he did have a lot of experience. He had, uh, actually, uh, out of all the divers I've met, more credentials than anyone I've met. He had uh, 
15 credentials. He's a rescue diver, and he was diving on air. And normally we use the U.S. Navy dive tables to kind of map out our dives. It tells mm -hmm. you how deep you can go without decompression or being worried about too much nitrogen buildup. Mm -hmm. And uh, for his dive, he went to 143 feet, and he was uh, pushing about 32 minutes uh, for his dive. And normally for a no decompression limit, the maximum bottom time is somewhere between three and five minutes okay so yeah pushing it a little bit right absolutely so um but a lot of folks aren't using the dive tables they are a little more conservative right um and they're using dive computers which really try and increase the amount of time that you actually can spend down there but they do come with that caveat where you might be pushing things a little bit right yes yeah um so that's kind of where we got involved with this guy so, Drew, I don't know if you mind chatting a little bit about some basic pathophys related to this. Yeah, sure. So, when a diver uh, goes underwater, you obviously increase the ambient pressure as you go underwater. And the, the deeper you go, the more pressure there is. Um, when you increase the pressure, you uh, anything that you're um, inhaling, so oxygen, nitrogen typically is what's in air, that goes into your body through your lungs, into your bloodstream, and then into your tissues. And the higher pressure you have, the more of those gases get soaked into your tissues, particularly the inert gases that the body doesn't use, like nitrogen. So when you leave pressure and you start to come back up, um, if you come up too rapidly or if you've been down for too long, you've got a significant nitrogen load onto your tissues. So if you come up too fast, essentially what happens is the ambient pressure around you decreases rapidly and the nitrogen that's in solution um, becomes bubbles. And those bubbles can travel um, through your bloodstream, um, can go through your, you know, nerve into your nervous system, um, can Basically go into your joints. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. So, and that's the, the bends, the decompression illness. So a good example of this is um, like a pop, a soda. If you open the soda, um, you significantly change or decrease the, the pressure in there, uh, in the ambient pressure, and all of a sudden all these bubbles come out of solution that they were once in with the liquid and, in, and into bubble form. And that's essentially what happens in your body as you come up from a, a deep dive too quickly. Um, so a couple of um, physics laws that we kind of keep in mind in the hyperbaric world is, for one, Boyle's Law, which states that... Um, at a constant temperature, as the pressure rises, the volume reduces. And the same is true. So as your um, pressure decreases, your volume expands. So the bubbles then, or the um, gases, will then increase in size. Mm -hmm. Secondly, we use the uh, Henry's Law, which is at a constant temperature, the amount of gas dissolved in the liquid is related to the amount of pressure. So if you're going really, the, the deeper you go, the more nitrogen you take on in your system. And lastly is Dalton's Law, which is basically the sum of all pressures um, is equal to um, each of the partial pressure parts. So the, you know, the amount of nitrogen plus the amount of oxygen plus anything else in the air, all that together is um, the total pressure of the gas. Yeah, really, that's the dorky stuff that we as HBO docs have to worry about. But So really what I think of is when you're underwater and you're coming up, bubbles get big, can be bad, right? That's not. That's kind of how I break it down for the, the folks who don't have to do what we do. And the deeper you go, the more nitrogen you're taking on usually. That's the gas we're worried about because um, you're breathing in. Each 33 feet you go down, you're basically doubling the amount of nitrogen that you're exposed to. Um, so when you're 
going down 140 feet, that's a lot of nitrogen you're taking on. And especially if you're down there for 20, 30 minutes or whatever he was. So, so that's kind of what I think of um, just to make that easier because people love putting their names on laws and I can, I can never remember those names, but um, it's good to just kind of go over that a little bit. So another issue that we run into in our world is the idea of the ischemia reperfusion injury. So Corey, I don't know if you want to discuss that a little bit. Absolutely. So uh, with hyperbaric uh, oxygen, uh, when you have a lot of oxygen being put onto you, just uh, like the laws uh, Drew was just talking about, um, when we're in the chamber and we're giving an increased amount of oxygen, it will lead to uh, vasoconstriction uh, and reduced well, vasogenic edema. Uh, basically, there's uh, theories out there and hypothesis that lead to this by uh, when you have a high amount of oxygen and you break down the reactive oxygen species, you'll have less uh, nitric oxide, which is a vasodilator, and that will lead to vasoconstriction. Um, there's another uh, couple of cascades by which the increased oxygen content can cause vasoconstriction. One can be by directly acting on uh, C2 channels. Um, there's a L-type calcium channel, and when the oxygen uh, makes contact with that on the smooth muscles, it will uh, cause vasoconstriction, and that helps lead to local circulatory control. So also, when these bubbles, you know, when we perform the hyperbaric oxygen therapy, the goal is to shrink the size of the bubble and help get reperfusion. Uh, as with, you know, any sort of cardiac reperfusion injury, when they remove the, you know, clot or put a stent in, when we're removing the bubble, you're having a rapid blood flow back to an area that was previously ischemic. Uh, and when this happens, you get a leukocyte and neutrophil influx, which will, you know, promote uh, normally promote production of like platelets wanting to aggregate and you're worried about having a reperfusion injury. Studies have shown that with hyperbaric oxygen that the reperfusion injury uh, is minimized or does not occur. Uh, there's been previous studies, for example, uh, by an article written by Zamboni uh, in Archives of Surgery where he did uh, studies on rats where he performed a gluteal flat procedure and uh, put them under hyperbaric oxygen and they had uh, no levels of the leukocyte or neutrophil. Okay. And that's a lot of stuff where I'm like heat and all these proteins are talking about. Really when I talk about this to try and make it easy is um, when people ask like, well, what are we doing? I, I, I kind of try and break it down to we, the idea is we're trying to shrink the bubble to some degree, which you know, may or may not be there. There's pretty good evidence that these bubbles have actually just gone right through already, and they're probably not still there in the vasculature. But the the inflammatory cascade that, that comes about afterward, there's all this evidence that you just talked about that really that's where we're trying to help with these folks is trying to help with kind of trying to dampen that more than anything. So um, so let's say this person showed up in your ER. Drew, you were, you're an ER doc. And let's say this person showed up in your ER. What would you do with this person? Yeah, absolutely. So um, same with any uh, ER patient. Um, you want to do a primary survey. Um, obviously, these people are typically sick with significant neurologic changes. So you want to get them on a monitor, start high-flow oxygen. Um, typically, you want to go straight to a non-rebreather, um, 15 liters, establish an IV, make sure they're protecting their airway. As far as your workup, um, you want to start with a chest x-ray just to make sure there's no uh, pneumothorax. 
They're typically quite dehydrated, so you want to start them on IV hydration. And then also things to think about um, anybody with neurologic symptoms. I mean, a lot of times um, uh, it can be hard to decipher whether this is a decompression illness or if something else is going on. Um, but certainly you want to think of if there was any trauma involved, um, if they've had previous back injuries, if they have um, exacerbated a, a disc rupture or something like that, caught equinus syndrome. These are all things to kind of keep in the back of your head. The other thing is any neurologic um, decompression illness, they tend to get urinary retention. Um, so putting a folding in them, especially before they travel a long distance or before they're in the hyperbaric chamber for several hours is, is a really uh, pertinent thing to do, as well as getting a full neuro exam particularly looking for cerebellar signs in somebody who the exam might be a little bit more subtle. That's uh, usually a good uh, indication that this is more of a decompression illness. And, and you mentioned the chest x-ray. Like, why is that important? Well, for one, you want to get a baseline exam of their lungs, especially if they're a smoker, just to make, you know, the biggest reason that we don't want to put somebody in hyperbaric chambers if they have a pneumothorax right. or if they have a large blood that's going to rupture. Um, so that's really the, the main reason is, is and, and certainly decompression um, can cause pneumothoraces. So just to make sure that that's not there. Right. Yeah, that's a big thing. The one person we can't put in a chamber is someone who has an untreated pneumothorax, right? That's right. where, that's probably the most useful thing. So, all right. So, Corey, with our patient, what did we actually see or what were they seeing before they sent them to us? Um, well, uh, before he came to us, uh, essentially it was kind of like we were saying before, he uh, wasn't able to bear weight or stand on his little extremities and he was having uh, altered sensations. He was still able to feel, but he did not feel that his sensations in his lower extremity were baseline. And then he did not have any sensation of having to go to the bathroom. So by the time he was transferred to us, it was actually about 12 hours to 13 hours somewhere in that time zone from when he surfaced uh, on the water uh, on his dive. And when we got him in the chamber, we, or I'm sorry, when we were in the emergency room evaluating him in our stay room, we placed the full, he had 1,200 cc's of urine uh, was removed. He had no, uh, no evidence of a pneumothorax on his chest x-ray. We did a neuro exam. He had about three to four muscle strength in his bilateral lower extremities. Uh, and his sensation was there, but again, he was reporting it felt slightly numb. Like he could identify when we were uh, doing our exam, just didn't feel right. Also in his distal fingers, he was constantly uh, squeezing his fingers back and forth trying to get motion on me, said they also felt numb. So when we uh, brought him over to the chamber, uh, we knew right away, uh, according to our guidelines for uh, decompression illness, uh, we were going to treat him with what we call a treatment table six uh, protocol, uh, at which we take him to the equivalent of uh, 60 feet of seawater. Uh, our goal initially is to shrink those bubbles. And uh, when we put him in the chamber, we knew right away that we were going to uh, evaluate him within the first 20 minutes. The reason being that if they're not improving, we can at this point go deeper if we needed to. But in our case, uh, he did show after about 20 minutes, he initially started saying he started feeling better sensations in his legs. He was starting able to move his legs a little more. And so we decided to continue with a treatment table six. Yeah, you covered a lot there with him. So, <laughs> um, so Drew, you, he, you know, Corey kind of mentioned that we usually do a uh, treatment table six, which again, for folks who don't know these things, these are just terms that we will use. Um, but, and they're really geared more towards the, the hyperbaric crowd. Um, but we'll have pictures of these things on the show notes. They're, they're just kind of interesting to look at more than anything. But, um, let's say like, you know, 
let's say this guy hadn't gotten better. Corey kind of mentioned that we do a table 6A. What what is that? How is that different? What's the main different? How is um, that different there? The main difference is then after your initial stop of at with a treatment table 6, if it's not improving, after 20 minutes, then you bring them down to 165 feet. Yeah. Um, so quite a bit uh, deeper Right. Um, in hopes of, of clearing up the, the uh, nitrogen bubbles. Um, yeah. and, and, we, and we've had other cases where we've done a 6A or done this sort of thing where we go from a 6 to a 6A and go deeper. And you can even transition and do a much longer treatment. Like Corey mentioned, 6 hours. The shortest one you can do on this is just under 5 if you do this but you can extend it out to nine if you want. So this is a long time just sitting in a room, right? Um, but we've had others where you can transition to much longer tables that actually go for longer than two days. So, you know, it all depends on how they're doing with this sort of thing. Um, so, Drew, just to kind of let folks know about our capabilities, we, we're in a little bit of a different setup um, than most people think of. I think most people think of, like, what I consider the coffins or the monoplace chambers. Uh, do you want to let, let folks know what we have here? What's different about a monoplace is they typically can't go quite as deep. So the um, 165 feet, those kind of dives are a little bit, uh, you know, they typically can't go that deep. However, we have a multi-place chamber, which is essentially three separate rooms or three separate locks. Um, so we, and the nice thing about it is we have the capabilities to go to 165 feet um, if necessary. Um, the caveat being that a, uh, a patient that when the patient is in the lock or in the room um, under pressure, there needs to be an attendant in there with them. Um, so we have run into some um, situations where the patient's in there for several days and the attendant essentially stays with them that whole time. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, like I mentioned, this other one was in there for 53 hours. So one person in there with them the whole time, we did have a system where we actually transitioned out so that that person could sleep and go to the bathroom and stuff. But, um, they were under pressure that whole time. The other thing we can do is, you know, when we're in a multi-place chamber, we have uh, the ability to have a vent in there. We have, you know, all the pumps and everything that you need if you have an ICU sort of setup. So, um, basically we're like a little mini ICU, um, at this place, which is kind of nice. So, um, so how did our patient do Corey? Um, he actually did very well. We, uh, at the very beginning, we did the table six. The next day we did, uh, another table six and the table five. And we continued in, uh, basically until as long as he was reporting improvements every day, he continued to say that his sensations were getting better. He felt stronger. We added on physical therapy and occupational therapy, and after a course of 10 treatments, he actually walked from our inpatient rehab. He was cleared to walk by physical therapy. He came down to thank all of us before he was discharged home back to uh, his hometown, which was uh, a state away. Uh, so he, it was actually pretty incredible to see him walking because on day three, uh, we attempted to have him stand with assistance, and he still wasn't able to bear weight on his little extremities. He kind of uh, just, you know, fell to the floor. I mean, we didn't let him fall, but he wasn't able to stand. And then, uh, yeah, please don't let him fall. Yeah. And, uh, so he, he walked down with these elbows crutchers and, uh, we actually got a, you know, picture of him for his, uh, wife in the chamber with, you know, the thumbs up, a-okay. Yeah. And, uh, we're going to touch base with him here soon. Uh, we exchange emails, so we're going to be checking in with him and, uh, I'm sure he's going to be back to it, uh, in no time. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. A lot of these divers just get right back to it as the, if they can. So, um, so Drew, just for folks who aren't in our world, are there any things that 
folks can do who are divers. A lot of people love diving. Is there anything people can do to kind of maybe reduce their risk of getting hurt while they're diving or anything that might be helpful? Yeah. Um, the biggest things, I mean, obviously you want to um, go during optimum diving conditions. So good visibility, not a lot of waves. Um, you want to try to get it, avoid any decompression obligations. So keeping your dives, um, fairly shallow and um, shorter so you don't have to go to multiple stops on the way back up. Uh, one thing that we recommend having people do is learning how to dive on nitrox. So higher levels of oxygen in the, um, in the gas that you're breathing and that, and, but at the same time, so you'll dive with the nitrox, but you'll use air tables. So you'll set your computer to, to dive on air and that's more, a bit, a bit more conservative. I'm um, also staying really hydrated is a good idea. Um, avoiding, uh, we usually say to avoid exercise or a lot of like hot, um, water, like, uh, hot tubs and stuff afterward. Um, and then, uh, and minimizing alcohol beforehand. So you want to stay hydrated and avoid dehydration. Yeah. But I mean, dive trips are drinking trips. So I, yeah. I don't know how, how realistic that is. Well, but within most your, the, the best that you're capable of doing, <laughs> right. I guess. <laughs> Um, okay. And then, uh, you know, are there any risk factors where, you know, people are at increased risk for getting hit with the bends? Yeah. Um, we tend to see it, um, happen more frequently, uh, people who are a little bit older, um, people that have, um, certain types of body habitus, such as, um, people with a higher BMI, they, they tend to have, um, the ability to absorb more uh, nitrogen, excuse me, so they are more likely. Also, if obviously we've had a previous injury, um, like a previous back surgery, previous knee surgery, those tend to bubble uh, more frequently in those areas. So um, that's something to kind of think about as well. Cool. All right, guys. So thanks again for helping me out today. If anybody has any questions or comments, please feel free to leave them in the comments section, and we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks.